very due to go. Well, it hasn't really gone <laughs> yet. Oh. I'm a day in. This is the beginning of day two, uh, but there's a lot of hanging around. It goes with jury service. So I've never been called up for jury service, or I haven't yet. And for people listening, uh, just explain a little bit about what's going on here because it's obviously different from country to country. Well, yeah, that's true. Well, we have the jury system, so you have the right to be tried by your peers for your crimes. And uh, yeah, you just get picked at random from the electorate. I think it's about 200,000 people a year get selected. Uh, and basically, yeah, you get selected, you got to do it. Uh, I have been selected and I am on jury duty for two weeks. You've got to give up a minimum of two weeks uh, of your time. Um, so then you have to sit in this room and basically you just wait to be called. And they pick, so kind of, there's like 60 people in the room and they pick 12 at random for each case through the day. And uh, yeah, no, I was not getting picked for the whole day. So I just sat there <laughs> from nine. Texting me. Texting you. I know. It's good that you were around. So do people... Do you talk to, in this room, are you talking to each other or are you just sitting there in this room? No, it was deadly silent. There was no, no, no. Oh. The Brits are not the chattiest. I think if this was in the States, there'd be a lot more talking involved. Was there any making eye contact with anybody? Was there anything? Were you a just little a bunch bit. of individuals just sat? And what happens, can you go to the bathroom? Do you have to ask someone? I mean, how does it work? So yeah, you can go to the loo because um, they just have them next door. But if you need to leave, you have to tell them that you have to leave and when you're going to come back and that sort of thing you're given lunch so we left for lunch for an hour and whatever but people made eye contact and did a little kind of raised eyebrow every time a 12 got selected and we weren't selected um oh. everybody's batteries were running low by <laughs> the time they got to about 3 p.m and uh, yeah we finally got finally got called at half four but um nothing really happened i've yeah, you just been. I've been assigned a case, but it doesn't start until later today. So, yeah. So it, it'll be interesting, at least. Possibly. I think it will be interesting. I don't know how the courts okay. work. I'm not a lawyer. I've never needed a lawyer. <laughs> and my overwhelming feeling when I went into the court was, okay, I never want to be in a court being the defendant. <laughs> it's, it's quite intimidating. Uh, you know what? I, I think if I'd done something wrong and I, like you, have not been in that position, I think I'd be quite scared if I looked out and saw you in a jury because I think you'd do a good... <laughs> I, I, th I think you'd do a good jury face. Oh, you really? Know, that kind of... Do you know what I mean? I think if, if I'd done something wrong or, or say I hadn't and someone thought I had and I was looking to the jury for some kind of sympathy or a little kind of that person gets me, I, I don't think I get it from you. I was thinking I could just kind of keep pulling faces every time someone says something. Just kind of, you know, oh, you think that then, do you? I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. <laughs> that sort of thing. So that's it, basically. Uh, and I'm not allowed to tell you anything. That's all I can tell you. Can't tell you anything about the case, obviously. I was going to say, I look forward to next week's podcast, but you can't really talk about it. So that would uh, it's been a really interesting podcast how's your week been yeah fine can't tell That'll be it but last week the 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 end of last week we were both working on yes Fed Cup, different ties although slightly different ties which meant different hours we had a lovely comment on instagram from someone from mary who's i think recently found us who said really really enjoyed listening to you commentating on fed cup um as i listened to the podcast and I, I'm kind of guessing it was probably you she was listening to. Why? I have a feeling. She messaged you. 
No, she met in tennis. Ah, okay, fine. Because I was covering Spain, Japan, and you were covering America, Latvia, and I just think there was maybe more people tuned into your tie, possibly. Well, mine was definitely more interesting, I can tell you that. Ours <laughs> <laughs> was great. <laughs> so, And I thought mine was going to be the quickest one of the weekend. No, I won that award. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we you know what we won and it's this might sound really strange um we won that because Naomi Osaka lost she only actually played one rubber because she then didn't play on the second day but in her match against Sara Cerebes Tormo she lost 6 love 6 3 Osaka with 50 unforced errors and I didn't say this on air but you know what during that match I was thinking of you and it, and I don't know if that sounds quite a weird thing to think or say but you on clay, the conversations we've had about you on clay courts, and you've said, I don't like it. I thought, well, I don't really need to make that much of an effort because it's clay and it's not. And I, I kind of got that feeling from Osaka. Do you know what? It, it's not her favorite surface. She has said that she needs to work on it because she wants to be a great player on all surfaces. But I, I, I cannot tell you Osaka's performance in that match was was incredible. I mean, look, there might be other stuff going on. You never know if there's other stuff off the court going on. But in terms of a tennis player, top 10 player, during that match, it was it was really not good. Yeah, just not what you would expect, right? I mean, like, I haven't really managed, I haven't watched the whole match, but just some of the highlights with your lovely voice on it. Um <laughs> <laughs> It's very good. I thought the commentary was outstanding. Oh, well, thank you very much. It it was, but Osaka, it was the mindset. And and I'd look back on, ahead of the match, I'd look back on pieces and quotes from her saying, I don't like clay. I don't feel comfortable. It's not a service I enjoy. All these kinds of things. But you know what? I've got to suck it up. I've got to get on with it. I cannot skip it. I want to be great. I want to, I want to manage this surface and do well. The footwork was bad, the timing was bad, the execution, no game plan, 50 unforced errors. I mean, love and three. I think in the in the first set, she won, what, six points on serve. It was, I mean, it was awful from, from someone from that caliber of player. Yeah, it's just not what you would expect. Um, and particularly Fed Cup. But, you know, I have talked about this before when we've done a Fed Cup episode uh, where I was saying that some people find Fed Cup really difficult. I was one of those people where I always played worse. Like I could never play my best tennis just because of the pressure of having a team. So I don't know whether Osaka, who's possibly a little bit down on confidence, not feeling great, then goes into a team environment where she's the absolute superstar. I mean, I was not the superstar. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that feels like. But um, but she was the one, with, like she had to win her matches. That was that's how they were going to win, right? Was Osaka wins and then maybe they could win another one somehow. So maybe that was just, it's just too much for her. Other people will be low on confidence and they go into a team environment and it gives them confidence and it lifts them up and they can then find something. Think of Kiki Mladenovic in the final. Think of my match, the States versus Latvia. I mean, Ostapenko, who's been in a bit of good form at the end of last year but it's had a difficult time this season or I mean I say difficult that's an, an understatement because she lost her father just a few weeks ago but she was kind of in fairly good form but before that was in awful form and Sevastova hasn't won a match all year um, I think the last time she won a match at the US Open or something it was she, she was coming in on horrible form and they both were clearly lifted by the team atmosphere. They found some confidence. They both played really well in all of their matches uh, and managed to force it to that fifth rubber. But 
yeah, I don't know. Maybe Osaka goes into her environment a bit low on confidence, a bit unsure, and it all just gets a bit too much and it's a bit overwhelming because, you know, from what, what I saw, it wasn't great. The body language was pretty pretty awful. It didn't look like there was much fight in her, as it were, in terms of the demand to play better and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't bode well for the upcoming months of her season, really. But she's had patches like this before. I mean, remember... She is an incredibly negative person, like if we're being honest about it, not necessarily in a bad way. Before she won a slam, both times, she put out a statement apologising to everybody for being so rubbish. And she was basically saying, I've been like before she won the US Open, it was just, a, you know, I'm really sorry to all of you know my fans and people who are supporting me. I've just been playing terribly. I've had a bad attitude on court. I feel like crap. I've just got to get it off my chest and just tell you all. And by doing that, she then obviously felt better, lowered the expectations, went into US Open, won the thing. And actually a similar thing happened before she won the Australian Open. It was only a few months later, but again, she was saying, oh, I'm just not getting the results that I'm looking for. I'm not really playing the way that I want to play. And then she won it. So she can get incredibly negative uh, and get into that headspace. And she needs to sort of like let it all out before she can play well again. So maybe we'll get another letter of apology, which is what it kind of has always been, hasn't it? It's been kind of apologising to people that she's not been able to play at her best. Well, she changed the bio on her uh, Twitter account a couple of times. I think once she changed it to, I'm trying. And, and you're right, the build-up was all about Osaka. It's her third appearance for Japan. And it was all about Osaka's playing, Osaka's playing, Osaka's playing. And, and that was the theme. And that was the headline. And that was everything. It's Osaka, it's Osaka. And her coach, Wim Fassett, was there. And he was on the sidelines. And the other things to remember, she's still only 22. So she's still very young. And Claire is a surface that she doesn't like or enjoy. So she's battling that at the same time together with whatever else she may have been battling. And, and, she, and she was 3-5 down in the second set and she was crying and she had to walk back to her captain and she had to take a towel and she was actually crying while serving and it was really hard to watch because as you say the the weight of expectation of oh Japan have got a great chance of making the finals in Budapest because Naomi Osaka's in the team. Yeah I really think this is something she's got to sort out ASAP A for her tennis career but also just for her because it's just horrible feeling this negative all of the time and also she's got the Olympics this year it's going to be all about Osaka. She's not only going to be the poster girl for tennis, she'll be the poster girl for the entire games across all sport, her and Nishikori, which I think we just need to take a minute and congratulate tennis in that sense, that they are the two biggest superstars in Japan. And she will be a phenomenal draw there. And the pressure, I imagine, will be at its most, more than she's ever experienced in that sort of environment. I would guess. But do you think because she's got Nishikuri, it will help because he is a bigger star? Well, who knows if he's going to play? Is he going to be fit enough? We, look, they're going to wrap him up. They're going to do whatever it takes to get Nishikuri. There is no way Nishikuri is not going to be fit. He's going to be in one of those cryogenic chambers, whatever <laughs> it takes. But if they are both fit, he is the biggest star because he's been around for longer, Nishikuri. But yeah, she is a superstar and it's going to be tough, but the, the pressure, it was... And then the second day, she didn't play. So whether she went to the captain or the captain made the decision or it was a joint decision, and I think against Sara Saribes Tormo, all credit to her, her first win of this level, she played the perfect game plan. She was aggressive. Her clay court... She was stunning, but 
the headlines will largely be about Osaka and, and the way Osaka lost. The next day, Osaka was due to play Carlos Suarez Navarro. Now, Suarez Navarro has beaten Osaka twice before, and I'm not saying Osaka would have won, but I truly felt she would have had a better opportunity against Suarez Navarro in the type of game she plays. But obviously, the feeling was that she she couldn't she couldn't go out there and that she wouldn't be able to play. So Karuminara came in and Spain would go through in the tie, Japan would win the doubles. But it was it was really sad to see that. I mean, look, she is she is a superstar, but it was really sad to see the way she played. And again, there might be other stuff because I think there was a tweet in the days leading up to Fed Cup talking about snakes or I've met lots of snakes and we know when there's a snake or, you know, one of those cryptic things. Yeah, she's clearly not entirely... Some, so yeah, I agree with you. Something was going on, but we don't know who that was about. No, haven't got a clue. But the the, the tears on the court... Do you think that's something that Osaka will always do or do you believe she's got to stop that? I mean, we've seen that before against uh, Kvitova in Australia. You know, she leaves the court, she's in tears, she comes back. It's part of Osaka, but do you think it's something she needs to stop doing or it's part of her and that's just it? No, I, I, I don't think so, uh, that she needs to stop. As I say, she's an incredibly negative person in in general. I, I think we've kind of got that sense. I'm sure she can be very fun and, and, and all of that. I'm not saying she's miserable, just that she can get very down on herself very quickly and it happens quite a lot of the time. So I think that's just kind of part of her. I mean, maybe it'd be good to just try and temper it a little bit. But I think similarly to, we were talking last week about Novak Djokovic and how he gets to the point where he's almost fronting up to to quitting or giving up and he calls a trainer on and he's not feeling well and he's this and everything's wrong and it's just not going to be his day until he really is at the point where he has to make the decision okay well then are you going to bail or are you actually going to compete and almost all the time he decides to compete and for what it's worth for Osaka I think it's sort of similar she gets you know very negative the tears come out uh, and like in that Australian Open final, the the choice was okay. Well, are you just gonna gonna cry and and give up, or are you gonna compete? And she chose to compete, and then she ended up winning. So I don't think it's necessarily something that she has to stop, but she needs to train herself to always respond with like Djokovic does, and always respond with okay, I'm gonna compete. Right, tears have happened. It's all it's all there. It's fine. But now I'm gonna get on, and I'm gonna finish the match. Betty got in touch, wondering if either of us were going to be in Rotterdam this week. Uh, you're on jury duty, so that's a no. no. Um, I'm on twin duty, so that's a no. And Betty's been listening to past pods. Oh, yeah. Oh, how far back did she go? <laughs> I think she's gone quite far back. And, and a couple of questions. She wants to know who comes up with the titles. Three, three titles she's given us from pods she's listened to are ball sniffing, ball wetting and blower orgies. Yes. <laughs> it's a good episode, that. The blower orgies, they... Was that the US Open? Yeah. Those things on drying the courts? Was yeah. that that? Yeah. Okay, that was that. And from the ball sniffing, Betty wants to know what do they do with used tennis balls? Oh, well, firstly, I can say that, uh, w- would we say mainly you come up with the titles? No, hang on a second. <laughs> <laughs> I um, don't have much to do with it, Betty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, okay, yeah, okay, so largely I come up with them, but you always say yes. I, no, uh, 100%. It's okayed from both of us because I think your titles are really good. <laughs> I enjoy them. <laughs> Did, are you sure I came up? 
Actually, you came up with ball wetting. A ball that wetting. Was, oh. No, you know what it is? You know what it is? It's things you say during the podcast that I put into the title. So actually, right. it's so you were talking about ball wetting and uh, you were talking about ball sniffing. And I I can't even remember where blower orgies came from, <laughs> but uh, that could have been me. But la- <laughs> largely, you say it during the podcast and I just highlight it in the title. Okay, fine. So it's my fault. I'll, it's fine. I'll take responsibility. <laughs> so, oh, I was going to say teamwork, but if you want to take responsibility, it's absolutely fine. Um, yeah. So, what was the question? I can't use remember. tennis oh, the balls. balls. Yes. Where what do happens they go? to them? Yeah. Normally, uh, if we're talking about used tennis balls at tournaments, they normally yes, get given no, out. Yes. Of course, oh. that's what we're talking. She's not talking about used tennis balls in life, is she? Well, there are other used used tennis balls. Yeah, but people. In their everyday life, they don't change them after every seven games, do they? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is true. My um, some tennis balls I've got are so fluffy; it's like they've had a perm. Literally, I've got tennis balls that are so fluffy and springy (laughs) that they shouldn't be used as tennis balls, and they still are. I wouldn't want to play with those. I like mine (laughs) to be as quick as possible. So the used tennis balls at at tournaments uh, tend to be given away to either resold for money for charity at the tournament. So at Wimbledon, for example, there's a stand, and you can can buy a can of used tennis balls from the tournament um, for a few pounds and that those few pounds go to the Wimbledon Foundation or a charity of their choice. I think it's Wimbledon Foundation. Or they kind of get given out to schools. That's also another thing, kind of give the equipment to schools so that they can use the tennis balls and kids can play. So normally pretty good things. Well, they just sit in my house and look like little pom-poms. <laughs> Cause, yeah, because exactly. they're so fluffy. I just play with like little pom poms now. <laughs> it's absolutely fine. At lower level tournaments, do you have to do you have to buy your balls, or do you still get given balls? No, no. Um, all the way down to the bottom, you get given balls. When it comes to say the fifteen k's, there's just a limit on how many you can have per day. And same with most of the challenges. Actually, it's the same all the way up up until you pretty much get to the grand slams. You get given an amount of balls for your practice, and then. That, that's it you can't really get more or ask for more as I say until you get up to the very very top um, where they have an abundance of balls but I mean tournaments are going through kind of 30,000 balls in an event so it, it's a it's a huge amount so they can't just be giving them out willy-nilly a lot of them ask them back so they have practice balls and that if you go and practice with them and then you give them back and they're still in good condition they'll give them out again for practice balls I mean they don't want to go through a, a ridiculous amount um, so uh, yeah Really, there's always sort of a limit on how many you can get. But the minimum, even if you're at 15K, you'll get three balls. Three they won't balls. be new. They'll be used. For for the match? No, three balls for practice. Three balls for practice. And then the match? For the match, uh, normally you have one set of balls, uh, which would normally be four. It's a minimum of three, but it's normally four. And those balls you'll play with them for two whole sets and you'll get new balls in the third set, which is a massive shock to the system because by the end of two sets, if you've been having a grinding match, you'd be like two hours in and the balls are so heavy. They're so slow. They're like your balls. They're like my little pom-poms, right? They're large and fluffy. (laughs) And uh, you, yeah, exactly. Um, And then suddenly you get to the third set and they go, new balls. And And then they're like, pellets they go so quickly they shoot off and as a big hitter something I talk to a lot of the juniors about who are kind of more the power players this is what I dealt with is um you actually really need to pay attention to what's happening with the ball you know even if you are an Osaka who doesn't like to pay attention to much else apart from how hard she's thumping it now Osaka's fine because she gets ball change seven nine but back in the day when she played in juniors and 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 challenges 
it, it makes a massive difference. You can lose a large uh, percentage of speed through the air as the ball roughs up, particularly over the course of a couple of hours. If you're playing on a grippy hard court, like out in the States or something, I mean, they are chewed to pieces. <laughs> or if you're playing on like a pretty damp clay court, I mean, they weigh like double the amount after two hours. Oh. <laughs> they are so heavy. They've picked up so are much. Are they even playable? A lot of the time, barely. Like it, it can be really, really bad. Um, but like on a wet clay court, yeah, they pick up all of the moisture. They soak it up and they soak up clay and they can get so heavy. You think your arm's going to break. It's really not great. <laughs> and then, so as a, as a power player, what happens is you start the match and you like, yeah, bosh, 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 hitting winners all over the place. You race to four love leads, something like that, because you're just like, oh, this is great. I'm just hitting winners. I'm just destroying them. And then a combination of things happens. So the balls get slower. If you just have one long game, those balls would have really, really roughed up. If you just get a few rallies of kind of nine, 10 shots, they will really rough up. The balls get slower and your opponent gets used to your pace of shot at the same time. So suddenly, bosh, 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 and the ball's still coming back. And you're thinking, hang on a minute. When did you turn into Caroline Wozniacki? <laughs> because I think you'll find that that was too good for you 10 minutes ago and now you're getting it back. So you have all of that, that tends to all happen at the same time. So very, very quickly, you can panic as a power player and think, I can't, I can't hit it through them anymore. Like I was hitting through them and now I'm not. And you can jump to the assumption that you need to do more and that you're not hitting the ball hard enough or close enough to the lines. So then you try and do more and then you just start missing. And you miss and you miss and you miss and you miss. So the normal pattern for me was that I would end up winning that set, but towards the back end of the set, it would start getting a bit tighter, a bit more difficult. But I'd kind of, you know, I'd just about nick the first set. And then the second set, I'm just in a world of pain. Like, <laughs> I don't know why. I'm like, I can't do it anymore. The, her shots are like higher on me and I can't, oh, it's just so frustrating. And then, you know, the wind picks up as well. So now you're going into the wind and you're just thinking, I can't hit it over the service line. <laughs> but then, okay, so so what do you do? Because obviously, initially, you're kind of like, this is weird. And then you speak to your coach and you figure out the reason why it's happening. So how do you change it? To, to counter that because it's always going to happen, right? These balls are always going to get heavy and fluffy. Yeah, so you don't need to hit the ball any harder or any close to the lines. You just need to do it two more times. So it's, you just have to, basically the slower the balls are, the more times you have to hit the that kind of big shot to get through somebody. So, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, this is something that is so common. Every time I speak to a, a big hitting junior, it's the first thing I'll say. I'm like, do you find that you win the first set quite comfortably and then lose? <laughs> They're like, yes. Why does that keep happening to me? I've always said that I was the master of winning the first set six love and losing or narrowly winning in the end. So anyway, so most power players will kind of say like, yes, why does that happen? And it's such a huge thing that players need to pay attention to. Because then what happens is you spend the whole of the second set trying to adjust to the these slower balls and you're all over the place you try and rally that's not going to work because you're playing a grinder you try and hit the ball high what are you doing you're not a hacker you try and do this you try and do that you try and overhit and you miss it's really difficult and by this point your opponent is thinking huh I'm just going to get the ball in just going to get it in and she's going to do something ridiculously stupid because I don't know what's happening <laughs> so I'm just <laughs> going to get the ball in um, and then you're so frustrated so you end up losing that set and then you get brand new shiny balls to play with and you think, oh, this is going to be amazing. And sometimes, sometimes in doubles or for the juniors, you'll play a third set tie break. 
So you think, oh, this is so great. I've got new balls again. This is so exciting. Like I'm going to be great. And then you think, and then you almost let go and go back to hitting the ball really hard. And you're like, oh, great. I'm just going to slam my serve. I'm just going to nail my forehand. I'm just going to do this. And the ball is hitting the back fence. Like you, it's, <laughs> it's like 30% quicker or something absurd. And yeah, and you lose basically most of the time. You lose. And your coach has their head in their hands. Yep. And you go once again, <laughs> it was the balls that slowed down. And, and then you come off the court and you go, oh, I didn't think about that. <laughs> but it is something you really need to get a grip of when you're, when you're a junior, because unfortunately like, yeah, it's great at, you know, Australian Open, you get ball change seven and nine, but you ain't getting that until you're at the Australian Open. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Should the unranked Jack Sock be getting main draw wildcards? Uh, I don't think there's a should or a shouldn't about it. It's for the tournament to decide. I mean, if you're a smaller tournament, a smaller ATP event or a big challenger, you want Jack Sock to play. He's a name. Okay, then let me change it. If you were advising Jack Sock would you advise him to take the wild cards or would you suggest a different route because he got a main draw wild card into the New York Open he lost in straight sets I think that's now 10 singles matches in a row I think what his last win was Labour Cup last year so if you were advising Jack Sock what would the advice be I mean this is a fella who was top 10 is now unranked uh well I think he needs to drop down um, and play in the challenges. I'm kind of surprised that he's not doing that. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what he does now. Okay, you had the New York Open, so maybe because it's back stateside, he might be thinking, well, I might as well use the wild cards to play the ATP events. Remember, the guys can get as many wild cards as they want. It's not the case on the women's side. You're limited. So, you got, I mean, he could get a wild card into every single tournament. But for him, he needs to drop down and play the challenges. And I find it a little bit odd that he wouldn't do that because last year we had well, we didn't Goffan play when he was ranked 20 he played a challenger yep. didn't even win it um Carl <laughs> Edmund played one <laughs> Goffan didn't even he's ranked 20 in the world he didn't even win it uh Nishikori did as well so uh, quite a few players will happily drop down when they are ranked quite highly so if you're unranked <laughs> you would think that playing a challenger is it's fine it's He'd still need a wild card into the challenges, by the way, because he's not ranked. <laughs> you have to have a ranking to get in. But he, yeah, I mean, for him and his tennis, he should definitely drop down. But uh, I, I don't know. We'll have to see what he does with it. I imagine he will play the challenges. I imagine, I imagine mentally, though, if you're in a main draw of New York Open and you're losing straight sets, it's like, OK, you know, I've been out for a while. I haven't played. That's fine. But if you drop down to challenger level and you're losing and you lose... I mean, that's really going to hit home, isn't it? If if you've suddenly gone down a level where you think, well, hang on a second, I'm former top 10, I should get some wins, and you lose there, that could become very difficult. Yes, but I think it is important to monitor your confidence levels and pick tournaments sensibly on your confidence because what we've seen happen before with quite a few players is if you only do the tour events because you think I don't want to drop down because either you're scared of losing at that level or you think it's going to drag your game down and you want to kind of feel the level you were at and keep playing the big tournaments and it'll come back it'll come back I'll just keep going just keep going well actually after nine months of losing at that level pretty consistently and not getting the level back well then your confidence is now on the floor it was going to be low to begin with now it's on the floor 
and then you decide to drop down to challenges after that, then you're walking into challenges with confidence. It's, it's just non-existent. You have none of it. And you're not going to do very well because challenges are really tough. They're an incredibly tough place to be. So you want to have some sort of confidence because for, for Jack, he could say, well, you know, I'm just kind of starting my comeback. There aren't any expectations on him at challenges. Of course not. He hasn't won a match in forever. He's not, he hasn't got a ranking, but there aren't any expectations. It's just a starting point. So right now going into challenges, I don't think that he would be rock bottom on confidence. He'd be very low, don't get me wrong, but he'd be walking in with a little bit of kind of, you know, there there are some sort of asterisks, aren't there? So, you know, it's the first first match I'm playing of the year and I'm just going to try and work on this and do that and whatever, try and get some matches under your belt and build from there. But if he plays tour events for six months and doesn't win a match and then drops down to challenges, then I think he would be in big trouble. Yeah, it, it's difficult, isn't it? As I say, a couple of years ago, was it last year? He was my comeback player. Yes, well, that's just absurd. I mean, no, no, you didn't have him as comeback. You had him as breakthrough, which was ridiculous. <laughs> Not comeback. Stop lying. Well, he, he look, he didn't do either. He ended up unranked. So whether it's comeback or breakthrough, it was bad, right? No, it was. It was. It did not go well for you, though. <laughs> you should have got minus points for that. But do you think he will get picked for Lever Cup? Yes. Wow. Even if he doesn't win a match between now and then. Well, he hadn't won anything when he went into Labour Cup last year and he beat Fabio Fanini. And I know people can, there can be sort of little asterisks against when you take on someone like a Fanini or like a Nick Kyrgios, but he he loves a team environment. I If the Bryan brothers hadn't, had decided not to play Davis Cup, I wouldn't have been surprised to see him in Marty Fisher's Davis Cup team because he's a world-class doubles player and he thrives you know you talk about that team environment where sometimes people and you felt the pressure jack sock likes to be surrounded by friends by teammates by come on everybody let's get together so uh, look, I, I guess labor cup it depends who's around who's doing well but he's played in every edition so far do you think on as things stand he wouldn't be picked for labor cup this year ooh um <laughs> It's tough. It's tough to argue for it. It's also a little bit tough to argue against it, really, isn't it? I think the biggest problem, and this was my problem with it last year, but then he did win a match, so it was fine, is that the doubles players at Lever Cup have to play singles. That's in the rules. You can't just bring in some world-class doubles players. So Jack Sock is a great pick because he obviously has played singles to a top 10 level and is arguably one of the best doubles players around. So you could understand him being picked and that he would be absolutely like the, probably the first one in the team. Like, yes, Jack Sock is in. Um, and last year I was a bit concerned about him playing singles, but then he won this year. I'm very concerned about him playing singles <laughs> as in, if we look at what he's done, it's very difficult to find a nice way to say this. Maybe there isn't one, but people are going to have to pay to watch the match. <laughs> and if Jack Sock, just can't win tennis matches he can't play at any level for singles are the labor cup crowd really going to be interested in watching him play singles but that's what i thought last year when he walked onto court i was thinking this is a bit odd isn't it like as in this is a big event you know it's labor cup this is a big deal you know these people have paid money <laughs> it's this weird match between jack sock and fanini happening and okay if sock was in the top 10 like he was before it's fine but you it's kind of bizarre. But isn't it funny? It's a weird match. But then when you look at it, it's still Jack Sock who's been in the top. It doesn't feel that weird. 
it would have felt a lot weirder if it was a player who was, I don't know, down around 100 or it, it just looked like Jack Sock. In a way, it felt in a way, but a way, in a way, it felt very normal. It's Jack Sock. Do you, do you see what I mean? It doesn't yeah. feel the first thing I thought was, oh, his ranking is at that point tumbling or he hasn't done this. It was like, well, he hasn't been great, but it's Jack Sock. It, it didn't feel because he is an established name. It, it didn't feel as, as weird as maybe it could have done. Do you know who looked at our Instagram story, Insta story last week? What, the tennis one? Yeah. No. No, about Djokovic. <laughs> no way. <laughs> oh, because we were talking about Djokovic, weren't we? Yeah, we were. Oh, God. I hope we said nice things. It's, did we? Yeah, I think we did. It was, how could we not have said nice things when he won the Australian Open? Uh, <laughs> this guy is overrated. <laughs> so I can't believe it. Uh, I think he was probably bored on a flight somewhere looking through. Uh, I, not to say he listened to the podcast, but he did look at, he, yeah. For a brief second, he saw his name on our podcast, which was, oh. yeah. Um, well, that's very cool. I can't remember who it was. It might be in Bessie, but someone was asking for an update. You know, the pyjama party that was taking place when I was in Australia? Yeah. And I was worried that they would go in in pyjamas too small and I don't know what would happen. They said, well, I could just let me report. It went smoothly. One of the twins' mm. pyjamas was slightly on the, the smaller side, but still fitted. It didn't look like he was wearing a crop top. And then at the end, they did release them all in their pyjamas. Oh, wow. To the world. <laughs> it's, it's, it's January. And then suddenly at, at home time, they kind of doors opened and all these children ran out in their pajamas. Oh, they have fun though. They loved it. They absolutely loved it. So pajama party went well. Just someone was asking about that. So can I just talk about one last thing? Yes. Have you got time before you have yes. to go? Garbine Muguruza, because it was again mentioned to us last week. You did a whole podcast post Australian Open, and you didn't mention Muguruza, who is. Yeah. Are we saying she's back? Yeah, well, look, the reason we didn't mention her, it was just a time thing, wasn't it? It was a long one last week, wasn't it? Yeah, we, there was a lot to get through. A lot happened kind of to wrap up the Australian Open. But yeah, I think I think she's back. Look, she's always going to be a streaky player. She's going to have some first round losses in her as well as she's going to have some slam titles in her. But we'll get the good streaks more often. That's what I mean. And it, it does feel she had a very turbulent relationship with her former coach, Sam Sumruk, and and that's not me saying anything that people don't know. I mean, they'd bring that turbulence into their on-court coaching. When I remember, I think it was Doha a couple of years ago, when they were almost arguing, and obviously he's mic'd up, and it was it's very difficult to see. Now she's back with Conchita Martinez, who she had a little spell with when Sam Sumruk was home, having I think it was his second baby, and Magrutha won Wimbledon, and. She just seems lighter. She seems happier. And it goes to show you don't always know what's going on away from the court if people are happy or settled. But Muguruza, it feels like she's in a better place and I can make a world of a difference. Oh, I mean, the, the level that she brings when she's playing like that is just so good. It's so good to watch. I mean, remember when she first... Sven, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good to watch. I mean, remember when she first burst onto the scene? I mean, the level of tense people talking about her dominating and she was just, I mean, she almost seemed to just have it all, really. And she still has it. Your potential never changes. It's still there. She can still tap into it. It's just, for her, everything is about getting it out. The game is fine. It's just about getting it out on court at the level and getting it out there 
consistently. And look, she's always been a big tournament player. So do I expect her to start winning a bunch of internationals and the smaller WTA events? Not really. She's never going to be a Wozniacki of just churning out titles. She has not won a huge amount of titles, but she's won some of the hugest titles you can get. So there will always be that element. I don't believe she's going to dominate or anything like that. And I don't believe that she is going to be the most consistent player around. But I think we're going to get some cracking tennis from her and uh, it's nice to see that she's just a lot happier really I think even though it's still stressful on the court but she just it, her and Conchita are just a great fit aren't they she talked about climbing Mount Kilimanjaro in the off season and just having that time and doing something that's out of your comfort zone and maybe that's what she needed to test herself in another environment to I don't know put things into perspective will she be number one ever again I think possibly because the thing is is that I I don't really think that her style lends itself to being number one again but she could easily you know she's reached the final of one slam she could win another one this year and once you've done that you're in the running for being at the top of the game um you know a couple of other big runs um you know, here or there, and and quite possibly. I mean, the trouble is, is that Barty at the top is actually very consistently doing incredibly well. So to dislodge somebody like that, it, you know, you, you pretty much have to win two Grand Slams, really, to, to start getting close. And also Halep is very, very consistent in just always making quarters, semis, winning those sorts of events. So, as I say, her game doesn't really lend itself to being number one in the world. I wouldn't imagine that's a goal of hers. I think a goal of hers is to win titles, to win slams win big titles at that um i could see a win in the olympics going on a great run there you know getting a gold medal it would be phenomenal but yeah so number one i'm not not entirely sure about and just a word on andreescu the disappointment again due to play for canada in the fed cup qualies and then it was confirmed that she had a late fitness test and she wasn't able to it's what you were saying last week about that mentally she's so much further ahead than her body the demand she puts on her body that physically and it's just so frustrating for Andreescu that still the body's not playing ball it's such a shame isn't it really but I think she's she said she's being more cautious she wants to be sure this time because she's come back too early before she's played through injuries before it um, you know maybe she has like a really high pain threshold I was listening to a podcast with Paula Radcliffe um, the marathon runner the other day and she was doing an interview about it and she basically has she just barely feels pain so it it caused her a lot of problems with picking up injuries because she just doesn't really feel pain like a normal person would that even something she said something like she would throw her spikes over her back and only realize that when she got home that she just like sliced off loads of her skin from her back she just dragged them up her back but she didn't even feel it and that's where you're going to feel pain the most right at the skin level so she just doesn't really feel it but that caused a lot of problems so she said so normally if you get pain of about a six seven out of ten you need to stop or if it's lower but it's increasing you need to stop hers was like yeah if I get like a two out of ten pain that means I've probably fractured my foot <laughs> ridiculous so maybe Andrescu's like that in terms of she just pushes through stuff all the time and she thinks it's fine and then it's not I don't know that's incredible that's also made me feel a little bit queasy I know it was it's a bit rough um but very interesting because you know she's one of the best she's the world record holder for the marathon so in terms of pushing through pain she knows how to do it so it's easy if you don't feel it <laughs> makes life a lot easier <laughs> I, I I've yeah no I feel all sorts of pain <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely not in the Paula Radcliffe 
Paula Radcliffe category. As I get older, all I feel is pain whenever I do anything. Um, I'm And we should say, uh, yes. uh, because we did mention him before, that news yes. of the latest doping situation, there's been new new news. Did you see it? Yep. Robert Farah is cleared to play. Yes, exactly. Found to have no fault because we did mention it, didn't we, before? We were saying what happens if he is cleared. He has been cleared. He now can play. And unfortunately, he has just missed that chunk of the season. So the good news is that next year, he won't have any points to defend. There was there was an interesting... I think it was Nicole Gibbs, the player, brought up on Twitter, actually. She said, why do we have to make it public before the conclusions have come to? Because there will be people who will forever think back to this you know people think with Marin Cilic remember when Marin Cilic if you, that they will think back in their mind oh oh that happened and oh they were cleared but that did happen and is there no smoke without fire and then one of the answers to Nicole Gibbs's tweet is because they want to make it as transparent as possible so from the very start to say this is I, I see I see both sides of it. I get the transparency but also it's tough because when I think of Robert Farah you know there will it, it will always be when I'm talking about a match and I'm doing one of his matches, at some point you might bring up, oh, he missed the start of the season because... And it's it's always something that's going to be, be in the conversation now. Well, I think the... <sighs> The difficulty is, I mean, as I say, I'm not 100% on this, but I think a lot of it is to do with just the the transparency and the kind of trying to avoid any sort of corruption in the sport because you've got um, governing bodies who have their players or athletes, which are their products, which they need to sell. The governing bodies, of course, don't want any negative press, particularly when it comes to stars of the game. And... Uh, <laughs> Once WADA have found somebody guilty, it kind of can become out of their hands. So I think it's almost like a WADA-enforced rule, which is the World Anti-Doping Authority, because they, you know, they want to almost you know put the pressure on for things to be dealt with properly. Um, because historically, in lots of different sports, there's been lots of corruptions, lots of cover-ups, and that sort of thing. So I think it is a difficult thing. It's just unfair in lots of ways, isn't it? It's like we were talking about last time, saying that you just have to miss that chunk of the season and it, it sucks. It's not fair. You're at a massive disadvantage now. I mean, missed a whole grand slam as well. Think of the points that they, that he could have picked up and yeah, it's just, it, it's difficult, but I, d- I don't really see a way around it. I don't think keeping it quiet is the right thing. No, I'm under pressure to think of a title for this week's podcast. So, Oh yeah, it's all on you. You, <laughs> I'm trying to think of anything you've said <laughs> that I could use. You need to go and stare at someone. Yeah, I need to go and uh, and jury. You go and jury. I was, That's what I'm going to do. I was going to say I look forward to hearing all about it, but you can't tell me anything about it. So um, our conversation is going to be quite <laughs> weird for the next week or so. <laughs> what have you done today? Nothing. Right. Okay. I can't tell can't you. Tell so you. secretive. I love it. It's so great. secretive. Can't tell you anything. Oh, crikey. Right. Well, you go and be a jury person. I will. I'm going to try and think of a title for this podcast. And not that we're going to have anything to talk about next week because you're on jury duty. But I'll speak to you then. Yeah, I'll speak to you then. Make it the best title yet. Yeah.